Today's episode is brought to you by our company, Sales Schema. Sales Schema helps agencies and B2B service companies build a reliable business development system through tasteful and targeted outreach. To learn more about us and check out our latest video training, go to saleschema.com slash take charge. I kind of redefine the term sabbatical in my book. Um, this isn't a Parisian six-month time off from your business. A lot of us can't afford that. A lot of us will see decline in revenue. And so you're right. We need to be really intentional and really smart about the way that we position this. And my opinion is like starting with your boundaries for your family. So if you assess, and this might be confronting, but if you assess the time that you're spending at home, time with your spouse, are you jumping back into your computer and opening up everything after you have dinner and working till two o'clock in the morning and Are you able to actually take a weekend off? Are you actually able to take a one week vacation? We can compound from there. So I always tell my early stage founders, like just begin with creating the boundaries around the life you want to live and the relationships that you want to have with your immediate family around, yeah, doing those things, closing the computer, doing that. And then we can build up to let's take a full week off without checking email. Let's take a two week period where you just go and and do some planning and do some visionary stuff. And then we can do a full month off or three months off or whatever it is that you want to do. Welcome to the Digital Agency Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Englander. Today's episode is brought to you by our company, Sales Schema. Are you tired of relying on unpredictable referrals to grow your agency or B2B service company? Yes, Dan, I am. So maybe you hired a salesperson or a lead generation company and your efforts failed miserably. So here's the problem. When it comes to selling agency services and other consultative offers, cold outreach doesn't work. And that's because there's so much competition and noise. And the scarce resource is not differentiators, at least not with the prospects who don't know you yet. So what's the scarce resource? It's actually trust. And at Sales Schema, we've worked with over 100 agencies and B2B service companies since 2014 to help generate qualified meetings and keep the pipeline full so our clients can achieve their dreams. And I've put everything we've learned into my book, Relationship Sales at Scale. And to learn more and pick up the book, you can do that by going to saleschema.com slash R-S-A-S. Again, that's saleschema.com slash R-S-A-S. Allison, great to have you on the show. Man, thank you so much for having me. I'm pumped to be here. For sure. There, there's so many uh, so many areas to get into. And I think that it sounds like you've really got your kind of finger on the pulse of what's going on in the agency space and the importance of operation and sort of the move to productizing, or maybe that's not even the right word, but at least just balancing the obligations and the joys of life with building and running successful agencies. So before we get into that, can you talk a little bit about your high-level background and how you got here? Yeah, totally. So I got started in the agency and PR space about eight years ago, and I started as an operations manager. So I was growing with an organization and managing a 30-person team. And at the time, my husband was in the military. And of course, they tell you where to go. And so I approached that founder. I said, hey, man, I hate to do this, but I have to go. And he said, you can't. You got to give me a 90-day transition period. And for better or worse, right? Everything flowed through me. And so I granted it. I said, of course, man, I'll totally do this for you. And in that time, I basically defined the operating function at that agency. And it helped them grow through some of the biggest years um, to follow after that. So one of the things that happened after I had parted ways with that agency is I had a line of people who said, can you please do this for me? So I've noticed that small growing agencies really need to define their operating function and really get clear with the team around 
what is it that's going to support us behind the scenes to hit some of the growth goals that we have? And so that's how I work. I work with folks who are in a position where they have a lot of expertise. They get great results for their clients. They start their business. They have a small team. And now they end up running something that perhaps they've never done before. Right? If we we haven't run a business in the past or we don't have any formal acumen around uh, like how systems and processes, how project management should be run, how reporting needs to go, I come behind the scenes and just do all that stuff. So I'm an operations strategist by trade, operations agency. My main business is a full service agency for uh, digital marketing agencies, which is super fun. And over the last six years on my own operations agency, we've been a part of some really cool growth projects and been behind the scenes of some seven and eight figure brands. That's fantastic. And they said that that is a great, great starting summary. And I like the brevity and straightforwardness of it. You've you've probably (laughs) given that a lot. So it it shows. I think ops is is one of, is kind of like an unsung hero. You know, ops is never as sexy as as sales and all these other things that people spat out about. So I I think it's, it's definitely worth, worth focusing on. There's this tension that I've sort of noticed with ops in that it's a lot about like, how do we make the thing better or faster or, or cleaner or whatever it is. And then there's that tension sort of matched with what what should we even be doing or selling? You know, what does the offer mm. look like? And then once the offer is perfected and you have some form of product market fit, then ops can can do its thing. But I think it's sort of like a lot of the hand wringing we see from agencies is like, well, what do we, we have so many offerings? Like, what do we sell first? What's the market for this? And you have product market fit. It's not really a binary. It's not like an on off switch. It's more like a continuum, right? And it's like, how yep. far can we get in terms of product market fit? So hopefully I can bring this to a question, which is hard for me, but I guess, how do you how do you balance those tensions and how do you know it's time to like have the operations mastermind like yourself jump into gear and like make the thing that works really good? Or is that even the right way to think about it? Yeah. So two things I'll say on this, and I really appreciate this question because I think it is something that agency owners and just business owners at large need to be thinking of is that first, if we're growing, we should be breaking things, including our offers, right? We should always be trying to find a better way to do, right? Especially because one one of the things I've noticed, especially working with agencies is what gets you from one to three million won't get you from three to 10. It just won't, especially operationally, right? And so like we might need to get more creative with our offers, might need to get more creative with our delivery, with our sales and marketing. And I think that the second thing I want to remark on is that a system for repair is actually what we need. We don't need this shiny complicated SOP system that can never be broken is always supposed to be, you know, cumbersome to maintain. That's why I think operations has a negative name in the marketplace is because it is, it's cumbersome, right? You don't want to be creating process documents and updating screenshots in the agency space, especially you use technology that's going to go out and do something different tomorrow, right? Facebook updates every other minute if you're running paid traffic. So like my thought process is, is let's define something that's simple first and foremost. And second, let's make sure that we have a process for repairing things at the agency, right? How are we operationalizing the things that are working well now? Let's not be in a position where we're married to this way of operating because ultimately it's going to end up hindering our growth. Yeah, I love that. So I I jotted down system for repair. Can you talk more about that? Like, is there any example you can give? Like, what does that look like? Yeah, change management is probably the most common function here, right? So how are we rolling out changes to delivery, right? If we have a new function of our offer, if we have a new market that we're going into from a marketing perspective, if we have a new way that we're closing, right? If you're doing one-to-one sales versus one-to-many on like a webinar, right? I think the thing that happens inside of small businesses is they break stuff, 
right? So they find a new way. It ends up being a growth initiative, right? Where a surplus comes in, right? Of clients, of leads, of whatever else is going on. Maybe it's team members, right? You break your hiring process. Then the third thing that everybody overlooks is operationalizing that new function, right? So putting in mechanisms into the business where we're checking on our systems weekly, monthly, quarterly, annually to make sure that the current way of operating is actually reflected in some of the way that we position our standard operating procedures, some of the way that we're reporting. That's one of the big things I talk about in my book I released earlier this year, The Sabbatical Method. It's really about repair. If you think about high performers, right, people who want to summit Everest, people who want to run marathons, right, there are strength training, there's flexibility training, there's endurance, and there's also rest because rest is critical to repair our muscles, our cardiovascular system for the next phase of the ascent, right? So that we can approach it in a way with fully optimized, right? Physical representation of what we want to do. Yeah, there's a lot of different roads we can go down there. I think one thing that, and maybe it's me being like too rational or literal about ops and, and overthinking it a little too much is how do you feel about where it lives, right? And and what like what it actually means. Is this a thing where you have a system like an Asana or a project management system or something like that in terms of where it lives? Is this a, is this a situation where the CEO is sitting down and writing SOPs? Like how do you figure when you're talking about change management, is it more like the cadence of meetings? Like what's what's kind of like the front lines of making your ops better if you have to make it more tangible? Yeah. Yeah. So a couple of things I'll say. First is that at an agency, right, there's basically three big buckets of how we can organize like our team, our assets and all the things Right, we have growth, right, which is traditionally sales and marketing. We have fulfillment, which is all the things that we're delivering. And then we have operations, right, which in a small agency typically combines HR finance operations, right, and like the administrative function of how we work, right? So if you want to think about operations that way, right, if you want to splice it out of fulfillment, really what we need to be understanding is that the core couple of ways that we can structure a really solid like operations department is that we need to get really clear on what reports we have financially, key performance indicators around our team, around how we're operating among all of the departments. The second big thing is how we are managing our projects. I've seen so many agency owners, especially if they have different types of services that they offer, whether it's web development over here and then like traffic over here, they'll define two different mechanisms for how they handle projects. And then when the two need to cross, there's a ton of operational friction there. And so to me, a PM function at the agency at large needs to be defined nice and early. And then obviously we have our capacity function, right? Which basically tells us how much new business can we handle right now? And when do we need to hire somebody? So I think those are the three big buckets of things that I see agencies needing the most. And then I think across all of the departments, there needs to be an internal knowledge base that is managed by all members of the team. So everybody at the agency has a fractional piece of what they are doing that includes contributing to company knowledge because the best way that we can get processes documented and build that muscle of being able to find answers to questions at the drop of a hat or answer the question how to do blank, we need to be contributing to an internal knowledge base. And that's going to help us tremendously at scale. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And to kind of bounce back to, to how you got your start, and you, you know, it sounds like you set up this operational system after managing a 30-person team, and then it worked and the agency went on to be successful kind of based on that structure. Do you think that there's you know an 80-20 to it, or does it not work like that? Like if you had to isolate it down to like the, uh, like one or, or a couple key things, 
there's like, hey, if you <laughs> if you miss everything else and you get these things right, do you think that dynamic exists? And if so, what would that look like? Absolutely. I mean, yeah. there's 80-20 for everything, right? I think it's yeah. funny. Like I saw... But I read 80-20 sales and marketing a few years ago, and it like changed my perspective on 80-20. Fantastic book, right? Mm -hmm. And I think it's funny because I felt like if you've ever seen that movie, The Number 23 with Jim Carrey, he becomes like obsessed and starts seeing it everywhere. And I'm like, 80-20 this, 80-20 that, 80-20 that. And I think 80-20 is everywhere. We just need to be disciplined in how we approach it. And I think the 80-20 rule for operations at an agency is fulfillment, period. If we can get our fulfillment department ironclad to the point where we know what our offers are, we can deliver them, we can do so incrementally at scale, we understand what our capacity is, and we understand what our gross profit margins are, that's the game. It absolutely is. Because then what we can say is if we pull this lever, how does it change the formula that we have in fulfillment? I think too many agency owners these days are really dependent on the unicorns, right? The people who can do some web building, some social media, some traffic strategy, this, that, and the other. We need to make sure that the solutions that we're providing not only are excellent, right? Because that's going to make us stand out in the marketplace, but also that they have systems behind them to fulfill so that things don't just feel on fire all the time at the agency because clients see that. They see the lack of results or the inconsistency in results. They, you know, end up kind of pouring out as fast as they come in. And that's where I see agencies going from, you know, I'm going to focus on fulfillment to I'm going to focus on growth and I'm going to focus on fulfillment then I'm going to focus on growth. Those feast or famine months and that is a complete symptom of lack of systems. It absolutely is. It's probably my number one of my agency owners. So I think 80-20 really starting on fulfillment and considering how can I batten down the hatches, make sure I'm not losing any more clients. I'm really, really clear on what I'm offering. My margins are great if you're charging by the hour or if you're value-based pricing, whichever your camp is in right now, you've got to make sure you have a handle on a lot of those things behind the scenes because it's only going to become more complicated as you add more clients on the front end and you focus on growth initiatives. Yeah, that's super interesting. And, and I think tied to that, it kind of reminds me of that Peter Drucker quote. I think it is where it's like, there's nothing worse than doing efficiently that which should not be done at all sort of deal. And I see that, you know, in the agency space, there's there's lots of hand wringing about like, hey, you know, in order to provide the high end, very custom solution to do that well, it almost seems like you have to have that unicorn there because you're like reinventing things so much. So then the question becomes, do we like work really hard so we can go out and hopefully find and afford another unicorn so we can scale this customized thing? Or do we do something that is completely different and we have more of like a done alongside you or e-learning business or something that scales a lot more easily so you don't have to keep hiring that insanely expensive person that's hard to find. That seems to be kind of the dichotomy that I, that I see, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Like, do you, do you observe something like that? And what, what does that dynamic look like? Unicorns don't grow on trees. If you optimize your service to needing unicorns, then you're just going to put yourself in a bad spot where you're either going to hire somebody who ends up not being a unicorn and then you're going to get stuck really, really bad in fulfillment. My opinion is optimize your agency to hire the unicorns at the leadership level and not the fulfillment level. So for example, if you can systematize your fulfillment and get it streamlined and simplified as much as humanly possible, whether that's productizing or adding an e-learning function onto your agency where things 
feel really streamlined. The barrier to entry is low. Someone can follow a really simple process, help somebody set up an ad account. If that's how you want to play that, the unicorns need to be saved for the longer hiring process, the leadership positions. I really do think that being disciplined in that arena, if your agency is growing to remove some of the, how do I put it? The industry expertise from a lot of the ways that you're fulfilling, right? Use your industry expertise to teach a team how to push buttons and pull levers and be in a position if they need to be, to be able to drive results for your clients. And then if you need unicorn hires, or if you want to grow the business and and kind of, you know, consider raising your client load, consider developing efforts to hire unicorns in leadership positions, because that's by far going to be the most challenging and the most unicorn necessary position in the organization. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think probably like 80, 90% of our audience agrees. But then there's some small part of me that's like, hey, if you look at the traditional agency model, like, you know, Mad Men is like, there's, there's definitely problematic stuff with Mad Men. But you know, you have this, this sort of magic that's happening from this like non-repeatability where you just, you know, it's all about them hunting for talent and then finding the unicorn and then they're reinventing the wheel each time. But it's not really a good business, you know, by the numbers, especially these days. So I guess my question is like, how often does that come up for your clients where they have to figure out like, really, what do they want? Do they want to do the fresh work, creative magic stuff and just, you know, live a life like that? Or do most people that you come across these days want to build that thing that's like scalable and repeatable, but maybe has a little bit less of that magic. It depends. And I think you can keep the magic at scale, right? It just really depends, again, how you operationalize it and how you're able to translate that to a team of either coaches or additional team members. You really can keep the fabric of what you do present and woven into your entire fulfillment system, even if it is very systematized. And I want to make sure that I can help differentiate between just because we talk about systems and processes does not mean that we lose all creative function. It does not mean that we are dry. It does not mean that we are only going one to many. I think systems and processes can help in the creative function. I work with a creative agency at this very moment who builds logos for their clients live on site. It is epic to watch. And what we did was we helped them crystallize what is that process? It's really actually very formulaic. And I think if we look at things like this, we can consider after we've done them a handful of times that it isn't actually just necessarily creating magic on the spot, that there is a core process that we go through. We just need to be daring enough to go find it. We just need to be able to get vulnerable in front of perhaps a third party outsider, whether it's me, whether it's a colleague, whether it's a client to say, hey, listen, what was your experience of this? And how did you see me go through this? So I want to differentiate there for sure. And then additionally, like, Yeah, I do see a good split of my agencies going in the scale phase. And I do see a good split of my agencies going into the, I'm just going to have kind of a smaller agency. We're going to have a tight knit team, a lean team, and we're going to do a lot of creative work. We're going to do a lot of specialized work. So I think COVID changed the landscape a little bit on that. A lot of people were like, you know, I'm not into the scale hustle mode. I want to be back with my kids and with my, with my family and shutting the computer at 6 PM. So it really does depend on what specifically the goals for the agency are. But again, I do not think that creativity and process-driven support are mutually exclusive. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think to hopefully make that point a little more tangible, finding operations talent is not talked about enough, right? Because I think there's a lot about hiring salespeople. There's a lot about hiring creatives. 
ops is this interesting thing where it's like you have to have a good amount of creativity and you have to be able to think in a big way, but you also have to be able to think about how is this actually going to get done. You have to be hyper rational, it seems like as well. So can you talk about that a little bit? Like if you're hiring ops talents, talent or your clients are, what are they looking for? Like what do those interviews look like? What are maybe some of the questions you're asking to identify great people, great operators? As a quick break, I wanted to let you know about our newest video training, how to take charge of your agency's future revenue. By the end of this training, you're going to learn how we get two to five qualified appointments every week using tasteful and highly targeted email outreach. That might not sound like a lot, but once you understand the outreach napkin math, you're going to learn how this can lead to massive scale for your agency or B2B service company. In addition to that, you're going to learn the six steps for successful outreach campaigns based on everything that we've learned from working with more than 100 agencies since 2014. You're going to get the complete agency outreach tech stack so you understand the right tools for getting the right results. And you're going to see agency to brand email examples and get inspiration from high converting campaigns. So to get this 30-minute training, all you need to do is go to saleschema.com slash take charge. Again, that's saleschema.com slash take charge. Yeah, great question. First and foremost, it's funny, I had a client um, and now coach who told me that he was hiring an executive assistant. So like one of the first like traditional functions of operations, right? In my opinion, for a small growing business, some of it is project management. Some of it is just like admin support. But he said to me, he said, I have them come to my home and I look in their car. Like I just go out. I'm like, Hey, I'm going to go get the mail. And I pass by their car and I take a look and I see, are they organized or are they not? Now in a digital fashion, right? This might be a little bit more challenging to actually determine. But even like, if you look behind me here, like I've got things stacked, I've got bins labeled. Like those are marks of operationally focused and organized human beings, because I do actually firmly believe a lot of the time when I come into contact with folks that how you do one thing is how you do everything. So you want to experience that person at the top level. Do Did they show up on time? Are they organized? Is this a position where they feel prepared? They feel ready? Those are good marks of organized operators. And typically, I see folks be successful in operations in one of two big buckets. There's operations creation, and then there's operations management, right? Oftentimes, those two, they not only can't really cross over, but it's really helpful to define those two functions at your agency. So how are we coming up with new pathways, new automations, new understanding of how we can be more efficient, diagnosing big problems, and then managing them, right? Because those are those always need to be in cahoots with one another, for lack of a better term, like the manager needs to be totally bought into the new vision or direction of the creator, and the creator needs to be able to help the manager understand exactly what's going on. So typically, I see this in relationship between like an ops manager and a project manager. I typically see this in my larger firms, like a director of operations with an operations manager or an operations assistant, right? The person who's actually being the manager. So the manager needs to be obsessed with doing the same things most days right? They need to be reports driven. They need to be checklist driven. They need to be doing those types of things. The operations creator needs to understand at a high level what the growth goals of the organization are and try to have an acumen of all departments. I see chief of staffs thrive really well here as well, where we can meet and take a look at all the departments and consider what are the issues that are continuously coming up. And they need to be incredible problem solvers and people, people. (laughs) 
that that's that I really like that distinction between ops creation and ops management. I don't think I've heard that before. And how possible is it? Like, how do you identify the, let's dig into the creation side a little bit. Cause I think a lot of the times what we see is that there's somebody that is probably a decent ops manager that rises to this level that where, where, you know, they might have issues with creation. So can you talk about that a little bit? Totally. So first and foremost, I think fractional creation for a small agency is helpful. Full-time management for an operate or an agency is helpful in operations. What I mean by that is that if you're not running, I think it's a, usually about 30 team when you're like, okay, yeah, a, a full-time operations person, like a leader in ops makes sense, right? Whether that person is doing some management for the time or doing mostly creation is up to the agency and, and what specifically it is that the job description looks like. But I typically see folks needing operations management before they need operations creation, if that makes sense. So they'll feel that pain of like, I just need these reports filled out, or I just need somebody to support me. I think the CEO or department specific employees can help in the interim create some processes and create some clarity around like the reports they want to see, how they want the projects managed, et cetera, et cetera. They can kind of do that creation function in-house because usually when the stakes are, are lower, it's kind of easy to figure out like, here's what we really need. Now, then once the agency gets to a point where the operations manager can't be full-time job identifying some of the other throughputs and everybody is too busy putting out proverbial fires with clients or with marketing strategies or whatever it is that's happening there, that's when we need somebody to come in. And typically it's a fractional piece. I mean, you can work with somebody like me. There's other folks in my industry who will come in and really just provide the third party perspective and say, hey guys, I have no emotional stake in this business. I'm going to tell you exactly what you might need to eliminate. I'm going to tell you exactly where I think the bottlenecks are and the throughputs could be. And then the operations manager can go ahead and start to manage some of that stuff. But it's typically about 30 person team when you're in a position where a full time or a, even a fractional, maybe at least for a little while, a creative uh, type of operator could be helpful. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And to shift gears a little bit, can you talk about the sabbatical method or just what what inspired it? What inspired that that concept in the book? Yeah, totally. I had a, a client come to me at the end of last year and she man, she was like burning the candle at both ends and the middle. Um, she was working a lot in her business. She was coaching like high-end executives at Airtable and GoDaddy and all the things. And uh, she came to me and said, I have to take two months off for my business because I've just ignored my health. And now I actually have to have my lymphatic system drained. I think it was four or five times a day. And it was super hard. It was her, her husband, a handful of team members. You know, when you lose one person in a five person team, I mean, it's like insane how it derails, right? Every single thing. It's, it's like losing a large percentage of your people, right? So we were in a position where we confronted what was happening with her. And a lot of it had to do with the information living up in her brain, the way that she coached, the way that she approached things. And I see this a lot with my agency owners. I see the industry acumen. I see the creativity. I see the care that they have for their clients. And it's really unfortunate that a lot of business owners are in a position where they feel like the business is completely dependent on them to run. So they either are burning the midnight oil and staying up until two in the morning to fulfill on accounts that carries over into their sales acumen and how confidently they feel pitching new services because they know what it's going to mean to them behind the scenes. And I consider this high performance, you know, kind of makeup, like I mentioned earlier, that rest is so critical. And really what this is, 
is, is it's an opportunity to operationalize our business so that we have a systematic way of working ourselves, the founder, out of the core operations of the business. And we can really lead from a directional perspective. We can really feel like we have more of a CEO position in our organization, because let's face it, a lot of early stage founders are project managers, fulfillment specialists, they're salespeople, they're the chief marketer, they're all the things. And very rarely do they actually hold the title of founder president or you know CEO that they actually want to have. And so this is a disciplined approach of taking micro hits of rest and really leveraging a sabbatical as a forcing function to professionalize your operations. So I wrote this um, after I had worked with my client on her two-month sabbatical. And I thought to myself, I was like, this shouldn't just be accessible to Fortune 50 CEOs, or it shouldn't just happen when we feel this intense burnout. We should have a system for how we approach rest. And I did this myself when I took two maternity leaves with my two sons over the last three years. And it's incredible how the years that I took maternity leave not only gave me a refreshed perspective on where my business needed to go, but it also really empowered my team to find solutions solutions to problems that we were having without me. And my team grew in leadership. Our company grew in revenue. We grew deeper relationships with our clients. And I think that actually being disciplined about taking some of that time off, whether it's just shutting your computer at 6 p.m. or it's taking a full weekend without checking email or going away for a week with your family without being pulled back in to the business reluctantly. That is what life is about. And that's what running a business is all about, right? We started this thing so that we could have freedom and get really cool results for people. And then all of a sudden, sometimes I find that we find ourselves in a cage, right? We've built this thing for us. We feel guilty leaving it. We feel guilty and torn apart by going to spend time with our family and our kiddos and leaving the business and the other way around. And so it's just a complete and utter mishmash of feelings and burnout and all the things. And so my gift is systems. And I hope that the sabbatical method can help avoid some of the pitfalls of some of the folks I've worked with through this process. Yeah, that's that's really great. To dig into that a little bit more, how do you set up a sabbatical in a responsible way that is effective for the business too and doesn't leave the business in a worse place? Like how do you and if for, for people listening, if they're, you know, anxious about it, like how do you set set up that first one effectively? I kind of redefine the term sabbatical in my book. Um, this isn't a Parisian six month time off from your business. A lot of us can't afford that. A lot of us will see decline in revenue. And so you're right. We need to be really intentional and really smart about the way that we position this. And my opinion is like starting with your boundaries for your family. So if you assess and this might be confronting, but if you assess the time that you're spending at home, time with your spouse, are you jumping back into your computer and opening up everything after you have dinner and working till two o'clock in the morning and Are you able to actually take a weekend off? Are you actually able to take a one week vacation? We can compound from there. So I always tell my early stage founders, like just begin with creating the boundaries around the life you want to live and the relationships that you want to have with your immediate family around, yeah, doing those things, closing the computer, doing that. And then we can build up to let's take a full week off without checking email. Let's take a two week period where you just go and and do some planning and do some visionary stuff. And then we can do a full month off or three months off or whatever it is that you want to do. And I think it doesn't always need to be all in one. Like I actually took three months off so far this year. And it all happened peppered out throughout the year. I took two weeks here, two weeks there, two weeks there. And it was really helpful because I felt like I don't 
personally, I like what I do a lot. And I feel like we have a lot of really cool throughputs and exciting things happening at the agency. And I don't feel like I need a three-month sabbatical, but it's cool that I've built this muscle so that if I do need a three-month sabbatical or I feel like I really want a three-month sabbatical, all we need to do is just build a muscle that already exists, right? My team isn't going to be like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do when Allie leaves, right? That really is the name of the game because just like what I was mentioning before, you're training to summit Everest, you're training to run a marathon, you wouldn't just go out and run the marathon on day one, right? You'd start with the mile, you'd start with three miles, you'd then go to five. And I think that's important to remember, because I think a lot of us, especially in the digital age where everything happens immediately, Amazon packages arrive at our door the next day, we all want the results of the thing before we've been able to build the muscle. And I think the same is true with rest, right? We want to go on vacation, but we haven't really operationalized some of the ways that we work. And then that confronts us on vacation. We're sitting in Disney World in the hotel room answering client emails instead of being out riding the Dumbo ride with our kids. So that's one of the big things is just to create and build the muscle before you need it. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I think that I guess to, to bring it back to, to what you're talking about, kind of the metaphor you're using earlier, you know, if you were climbing Mount Everest, you would, you would rest. But I'm sure if, if, if you're an athlete training for a marathon, the rest probably isn't like sitting around on the couch eating potato chips. There's probably maybe there's stretches or there's there's other things that yeah. you're doing physically. Is there a knowledge work equivalent of that? And I'm sure it's personal. I'm sure it's, you know, specific to each person. But is there other things that you think are are good to do on that sabbatical that keep you fresh? Because I think that especially for entrepreneurs and business owners, there's a lot of anxiety that goes around with not doing anything <laughs> and just completely cutting off. But at the same time, answering emails usually isn't effective either. So yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, it's creating operations. It's operationalizing your business. That's the best return on investment that you could have for rest, right? You're not doing any client work. You're just really creating a space where when you return back to the business, you feel refreshed and you feel like you have muscles that are built that are stronger than when you left. I have a five phase process that I break down inside of my book around how I think about operations, you know, what the basic needs are of a business and where we can kind of get up to at scale. And I really, really think that rest to me, if we're repairing our business, right? If we're taking a look, we got to take a look at what is our vision? Where are we going? And how operationally do we need to create systems around the things that are already working really well so that we can kind of be in this balance? Because I talk about this all the time. And this is kind of baseline number one in my operation simplified framework is we always need to be in a state of standard operating procedures and growth goals, right? If we serve one over the other, then we end up cannibalizing, right? So if we are so in service of our standard operating procedures that we have no growth goals or we can't meet our growth goals, then the company stays stagnant, the market inflates, and uh, we end up needing to do layoffs or things get more expensive or whatever, right? So we're actually not growing. Then if we're so in service of our growth goals, but then we forget to batten down the hatches and operationalize things that are happening on the standard operating procedures side, we get into that game where it's constant reaction, we're burning out our team, we're burning out ourselves, things just feel like they're always on fire. And so we always need to be in that state, right? So like I said, businesses who are growing should be breaking stuff. We should be finding new and exciting ways to do things, new and exciting offers to present, new ways of traffic, sales, all the things. And we need to make sure that that our standard operating procedures don't die by that sword as well, right? Like we're not totally focused on growth initiatives. So our basic uh, SEO package just completely goes out, out the door and out by the wayside. So that's really the constant balance that we need to create inside of the business, I think, at a, at a base level. 
Yeah, that's that makes a lot of sense. And I like that that way of thinking about it. And I know that you're also doing a lot of work with people that are taking maternity or paternity leave. That's near and dear to me because I've got that coming up and talking talking to my wife. She's like, are you going to take a paternity leave? And I'm like, yeah, of course I am. But I don't know exactly what, what it means yet, right? I know that I'm not going to be working the same, but completely going off the map for like three months probably isn't an option right now, especially on the sales front, right? Because like small business, I'm still involved in sales to a large degree. So I'm trying to figure out what it means. I know that it'll be off the map for at least some amount of time, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on that and how you're working with business owners and so on in that capacity. Yeah, totally. So first step would probably be to read my book <laughs> um, and just take a look at like what muscles you might need to build inside of the business to help make that feel more accessible to you. And the second big thing I do with parentpreneurs is I help them understand like what does their new parent life need to look like, right? Do you want to be there to feed your son in the mornings? Do you want to be able to kind of pepper in and have some lunchtime and, and be able to relieve your wife if she's staying home, you know, with your kiddo and get her some some things that she needs, like her workout or her sleep or whatever. I think that having a kid-proof business so that you can live a family-focused life is really the biggest kind of benefit statement that I can make about how I work with people in that capacity, right? So it's not a one-size-fits-all. We need to consider what is the model of the business, what systems support us, and what visibility do we need to make sure that things are going well. So honestly, if you don't have any reports, Dan, on like some of the core functions of the business, I would honestly start there because to me, that was the number one thing I worked on when I went on maternity leave with my first son. As I said, what metrics do I need to see to tell me that things are going all right, right? So that I can kind of quiet that to-do list in the back of my brain, be present with my child and actually take some time to be off. Because I know a lot of people who take time off, but aren't actually off, right? Because you've got that running list of things behind the scenes in your brain, You the stress starts to build up and we just feel like we can't actually access that time to be with our baby and be at home and be away. So that's how I would start. I would for sure look at the sabbatical method, assess your business. I have a, a quiz in there on how to really consider, can my business function without me? And the goal is obviously to create some operational throughput there so that it can actually thrive without you. Yeah. And, and what I love about the way you framed it is there's a lot of talk about, hey, get more freedom, productize, operationalize this or that. But this is a way to very tangibly and immediately stress test it and, and just like, hey, do the thing that you ultimately want to do. And then... <laughs> figure out how to make that work in in little experiments and uh, in little you know micro tests if that's the right way to, to describe it so totally. that, that makes a lot of sense yeah i mean what is the best way to figure out if something works is just to go out and test it i mean we're all marketers here right at least listening or we have a business that needs a function of marketing like go out test the thing get the feedback, make some changes, and then go test it again. Hopefully it's better the second time, right? If we've got a brain between our ears, like we know what's going on. And I think like having that iterative feedback, especially early on, like you're honestly in a, a wonderful position to be thinking about this right now with your new son on the way. I think if you can get this right in the early years, um, you can set yourself up for, you know, a position where you can be, you know, unapologetically and guilt-free with your family and have a business that runs really, really well behind the scenes. So I personally, think that it's about taking the risk, quote unquote, right, the small risk in the very beginning versus the large risk of losing family relationships and burning out physically and not being able to run a business.
risk, take the small risk, be disciplined, right? I think discipline is one of the biggest overlooked things that business owners can have. We feel like it's simple, right? Like document your processes and get your stuff in order and organize things. We think that the bigger vision of what's possible in our business almost overrides some of those little tiny things that are going to make everything a little bit easier for us down the line. And it's just like, you know, not emptying the dishwasher when you first wake up or like not <laughs> like folding our laundry when we first pull it out of the dryer, right? Like we can either do it then and it takes 10 minutes or we can let it pile up for a week. And then on our Saturday, we spend an hour folding laundry and then it just totally derails us, right? So I think having those micro doses, not only of rest, but also just having the discipline to be able to implement the systems, it's going to change the game. I know it for everybody who's willing to, to make the effort. Yeah. And I, f- I found that when I have taken two weeks off the grid and then I come back and like everything's fine, it's it's something that's really awesome to feel like, oh, I'm not as important as I thought that I was. <laughs> and I think that's a good feeling. But it seems like some people, uh, that's a really bad feeling. That's like a really dark thing mm-hmm. to realize that. Do you have any any thoughts or experience with that problem? It's interesting. I think a lot of owners find themselves in that way. And I think parents do as well. So like I I talk with so many parents who are like, oh, yeah, well, my business is my baby. My business is my baby. And I'm like, well, when does your business become a capable adolescent that can like tie its shoes and like go walk to the bus stop on its own? And actually, when does it become a thriving adult? Like when do we just like in parenthood, right? When do we release some of that necessary time? Like my hope is that by the time my kids in middle school, I hope hope I don't have to tie his shoes. If I, if I do, it means I'm a terrible parent. <laughs> if he's still going to the bathroom in his pants at age 12, like sure, yes, he needs me. And that's maybe okay and validating, but to what end, right? Am I ultimately doing everybody in the business, certainly my child, a disservice by feeling necessary or feeling needed, right? It's vanity is what it is. So if anybody is listening, anybody in the audience now who is like, it feels good to be needed, or I feel like I can't pull myself away, try because ultimately you might be hamstringing your growth if you don't take that risk. Right. I think that's that's a really, really good point and a natural metaphor. So that's great, Alison. I guess like with the time we have left, what's what's inspiring you now? Like what's what's uh, the next 90, 180 days at, at your organization look like? Yeah, great question, man. Honestly, I've been doing a lot of fact finding there recently myself. Um, I'm going out to Wisconsin with my coach um, at the end of September to really crystallize our 2024 plan, which I'm super excited about. Um, I have a bleeding heart for parentpreneurs, uh, transparently. I really do want to help parents get more time back with their family. I want to return fulfilled founders back to their families. And I think a fulfilled founder looks like someone who is able to achieve their goals in business and have a growing, thriving organization, be able to manage things at the helm and also be able to be present for the moments that are fleeting at home with their kiddos, especially in the early years, and especially when things feel probably pretty hectic at home and are are really unexpected at times. I talk about like kid-proofing your business, which a lot of folks will be like, oh, it sounds like you are trying to save your business from your children, like your children are going to come get your business. And I'm like, actually, no, like when we kid-proof our house, right, we put the light socket covers on all the things and we are protecting our children from getting hurt from this thing that we know could be dangerous to them. And I think think that if we consider our business as a dangerous drain on our assets, our time, our money and all the stuff, right? How can we kid proof that so that our kids get the best of us and not what's left of us at the end of the day, right? So I have a, again, bleeding heart. I'm I'm, in, I'm this person got two little kids under three. And this is something that is transparently just me. It's, it's who I am. It's what I love doing. And I want to do more of that in 2024. Um, I've been serving in the eight 
figure agency space and coaching and uh, doing lots of operations work, uh, you know, with lots of growing agencies. And I actually, it's funny, like work with a lot of parent run agencies these days, which is like super, super fun. And I feel like I get to do both of my skill sets as of recently. So I think you're going to see lots more from me on like systems for life versus like systems for agencies, which is like super exciting to me. And um, yeah, just excited to see what's ahead. That's awesome. Yeah. And hopefully we'll get you back on to talk about all of those things and more. This has been so much fun, Allison. Where can people go to follow what you're up to and get in touch and all that good stuff? Yeah, of course. So my site is operationsagency.com. Um, that's where I serve agency owners looking to professionalize and formalize their operations. I'm also on all the socials at Ali Caffrey. Um, you can follow me if you are a parentpreneur listening. Um, that's where to find my best parentpreneur stuff. I'm given real and raw behind the scenes stuff around what's working for me, you know, growing and running a business and having two little kiddos at home. So I'm grateful that you brought me on the show, Dan, and I'm just excited to share all the things with the folks. Yeah. Thanks so much, Allison. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode. Again, today's episode was sponsored by our company, Sales Schema. Sales Schema helps agencies and B2B service companies build a reliable business development system through tasteful and targeted outreach. To learn more about us and check out our latest video training, again, you can go to saleschema.com slash take charge. Again, that's saleschema.com slash take charge.